It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Archer's back with a brand new season. Catch all new episodes starting tonight on Teletoon at night. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 6.30 Chad. All right, Morley Scott is in his position in the press box at Rexall Place. It is game four of the Oil Kings and the Wheat Kings just getting underway. We will keep you updated throughout this program. Huge game. Wheat Kings got back in it with a 3-1 win last night. Here's what's going on in the NHL, folks. The Canadians are up 2-0 on the Lightning. Five minutes left in the second period there. Devils and Panthers tied 1-1, also late in the second frame. The Sabres still leading Toronto 3-1 early in the third period now. The Blue Jackets have come back to tie the Islanders. It's 3-3 with 16 minutes left. Boone Jenner with his 29th of the season for the Jackets. Four minutes into the third period, Pittsburgh up 4-2 on Nashville. Rangers have a 3-2 lead in Carolina. Third period just started. The Senators and the Wild are scoreless early in the second period. The Coyotes and the Stars, about five minutes left in the first in Dallas. No score there. Still to come, Canucks and Sharks, Flames and Kings. Both those games start at 8.30 Mountain Time. That is a look at the NHL scoreboard. Well, a uh, Despite not having played since Monday, a newsworthy week for the Edmonton Oilers. We had the uh, Neil Yakupov trade request stuff, the, the Oilers uh, and Edmonton once again. I mean, it's kind of a tiring story after a while, but uh, listed by some agents as a place that uh, tops no trade lists as, uh, as uh, you know, players get that right to put that in their contracts as they move on in their career. To talk a little bit about that and hit on some other things, I'm pleased to bring in former NHL general manager, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, Doug McLean. Doug, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Great. Great. Getting excited over the playoffs. Well, yes, no Canadian teams though, man. No is, is that is that the is that the story here of the of the stretch drive that all the Canadian teams are out of it? Yeah, it really is. I I I, I was saying today on Hockey Central at noon, you know, we had we're talking to Ron McLean and you know, I said I've got to tell you though, the one the one Canadian team I really thought was a was a a lock to be in the playoffs was Montreal. You know, I'd say that Ottawa, you know, Winnipeg, Vancouver, maybe I thought would fight for the eighth spot. Um, you know, I, I really didn't. You know, Calgary, I thought they would be better. Uh, Edmonton, I, I didn't expect them to be a whole lot better. Although I thought McDavid would give them that. That jump. So really, Montreal was the the biggest disappointment, and obviously a lot of that has to do with price. But but still, I mean, it's just bizarre how all seven are out. It, it just it takes a, a lot away from the excitement. But you know what? I tell you what. I watched a bit of the Philly Washington game last night, and I'll tell you, 
there's some great hockey going on. So we could have some great, as usual, some great first-round matchups. I think we're going to see some terrific hockey, especially in the West. And uh, I, I think it's going to be fun, except it, it's not like having the Canadian teams. It simply is not like having them. Well, I was saying to somebody this morning, if you're a Canadian hockey fan and your team doesn't make the playoffs, usually you will watch another Canadian team because you either jump yeah. on that bandwagon or it's a or rival you and them. you want them to suffer. Or you hate them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, that's you guys a- have done a lot of that in Edmonton. Yes, far too much recently. Watching rivals and, and hoping they suffer. Yes, far too much recently. But yeah, not, none of that with Canadian clubs this year. Hey, I wanted to ask you, especially from your perspective of you know, almost 10 years as, as GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets, we had this story break here in Edmonton that you know, that the trade request stuff with Yakupov and he gave the whole, well, I didn't ask for a trade, but I guess my agent did, Spiel and Larry Onoff did the talk show circuit and all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, when you put your ex-general manager hat on and, and, and you see a player going through this and a guy like Shirelli having to deal with it, uh, I mean, do you sympathize with the player? Do you sympathize with the GM? Is the stuff like this have to become public? How do you, how do you look at all this? You know, I, I was really, it was really weird as a, as a GM for, you know, nine and two-thirds years in Columbus. And uh, I say nine and two-thirds years because that's what my pension comes across as, so I don't really know how long I was there for, but it seemed like a lifetime. But anyway, you know what? I never had a player ask to be traded, and I never had an agent demand to be traded. And I, it was kind of weird. Here, here we were, an expansion team. Here we were, not a great team year up year, but never a player asked to be traded. So I, I was lucky that way. I never had a player take me to arbitration. I was lucky that way. Uh, does that mean I overpaid? Maybe. But uh, give them what they want, I guess, maybe. But, you know, I never experienced that. But it, you don't like to see it. Yakupov, uh, I, I get it. I, I really do. It, it's, it looks to me like it's not going to work there unless unless they're con- convinced he can play with McDavid and you know as time moves along finding the right guys to play with McDavid may become interesting we've we've watched how it's uh, transpired with Sid and Pittsburgh always a challenge to find the right guys to play with them sometimes he couldn't play with stars uh, you know so what is McDavid going to be like as we move forward here as the type of guy to play with do they consider holding on to Yakubov till they know for sure that that, could, that might not be a great fit? Kid can score. We know that if he gets chances, he's going to get them with McDavid. Is that something you just hold up on? Or is it over? Is it over and it's time to move on? Uh, if I, you know, I guess for me it looks closer to it should be over than, than you know, giving him the opportunity. But he is a talent. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Has it worked? No, it hasn't worked. So, you know, they've got a better feel than I do on it. But, you know, it, that happens. Is, is, it, is it even possible for – and, look, his stock has dropped because he hasn't been scoring a lot. But is it possible, if the Oilers do move him in the summer, for them to get anything of, quote-unquote, fair value, equal value, just, just because of what he's gone through and then the, re- the request becomes public? I, I don't think they get anywhere close to the perceived value uh, in the past. To me, there's limited value there. Um, lots of guys take off or take chances on former first-round picks, let alone first overall picks. You always think you can help a former first-round pick find his game. So that way you, you maybe pay a little bit more. Uh, but to me, it's minimal value. And that's the, that's the 
the the devastating part of this whole thing is his value has dropped through the floor for me. Um, it, it's it's you know I mean this who somebody may give him a chance. I mean we fought we saw Filatov. I mean uh, Columbus Scott Housen, He's well aware of this. He drafted Filatov if I'm not mistaken fifth overall. And, you know, Ottawa thought they might be able to resurrect him, and he went there, he was good for a week, and then he's a disaster. So, uh, you know, it, it, it happens. And unfortunately, to me, limited value. Doug McLean from Sportsnet joining us, former general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets here on Inside Sports. Just one more topic I want to touch on you, touch uh, on with you here, Doug. The you know and we we there are always a variety of uh, informal polls and surveys that that the media tends to come up with. Craig Custins from ESPN, you know, finding after talking to a, a few agents, and I should emphasize it was a few, but that Edmonton is the team most often to come up on on no trade clauses, and I guess we can extend that into into free agency where maybe Edmonton is quote unquote an undesirable um, location. Um, I've also had other people tell me that it's just the fallback position for people to say, yeah, you know, Edmonton sucks, so don't, so don't go there just because the team's been bad for so long. I mean, it, do markets get pigeonholed, or is, is the perception a reality that, yeah, you don't want to go there? Does, does winning actually solve the problem as becoming a desirable spot? I mean, what, how much stock do you put in some of this? You know, I don't. I don't put a whole lot in it. I really don't. I lived it. I, I mean, I was. You know, I, I spent most of my career in Florida or Columbus. Okay, and it, you know, in Columbus it was really challenging. But you know, we were able to sign some pretty good free agents. You know, Todd Marchand came there when he was at a good part of his career. Sure, we overpaid, but no more than other people were offering to pay him. Uh, Adam Foote came there. Luke Richardson came there. Scott Lachance coming off a great season in Vancouver came there. I mean, I. You know, I thought, you know, from a free agent perspective, I, I don't see Columbus as a, as a real desirable market, although I loved it there. Uh, it's a great city. And the players, when they get there, they rave about it. And I, and I really, uh, to me, Edmonton should be no different. I mean, now that you have the base that's there, uh, you know, good people, I don't see Edmonton not being a reasonably good place to go and play. Sure, winning helps. There's no doubt it helps. Missing the playoffs for 10 years in a row, it, ki- it kills it. But it's not Edmonton for me. It, it really isn't Edmonton. It's, it's what's gone on, and, and I think it's fixable. So and especially with McDavid there, you know, the free agent uh, swarries in the summer have been a disaster for them. I even looked back at last year. I remember standing at the trade deadline, or at the July 1st when they signed uh, Sakara. I didn't like the signing. I didn't think it was a good signing. I'd watched him in L.A., thought he was way overrated. Washington, Carolina, and he gets a big ticket. And it, it, for me, it hasn't worked out. And, you know, so I don't think they should have to way overpay. Yeah, you have to overpay. There's no doubt about that. And this is just as much as a 10 years inning. But to me, Edmonton will become a more desirable place. And I, I, I hope that's the case because I'd, I'd really like to see them pull out of this. Well, that's some great perspective, Doug. Really appreciate your time. I know you got a busy night ahead of you on the old tube, and uh, enjoy the playoffs for sure. Thanks for joining us on 630. All the best, and enjoy the playoffs as well, man. Right on. That is Doug McLean checking in tonight, former GM and, uh, of course, a coach as well in the National Hockey League. Talked about some experiences in Florida and Columbus. I, I always find that these uh, 
you know, no trade things or free agents won't go to, you know, pick a market. Sometimes it's Edmonton. There are other cities that uh, often get lumped in. I, I know I have been told, and you hear a lot of you hear a lot of different things. I I have been told that there are several ten team no trade lists out there that list all seven Canadian teams, including Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. Not just the prairie slash colder cities or however you want to look at it. So it depend it depends who you talk to. I mean, I, I have no doubt in my mind that there are players who would not play in Edmonton and or for the Oilers, whether whether it's because of how bad the team has been or because they think the uh, city is minus 50 for 11 months of the year, wh- whatever is going through people's heads. Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, let's all it all it. I mean, look, Doug McLean criticized the Secra signing. Fair enough. But last summer, Sekera was one of the top, what, three defensemen available? And he came to Edmonton. So he had his reasons for doing that. Um, and I know Andre Sekera isn't one of the best defensemen in the league, but given last year's free agent crop, right, he was one of the most desirable guys. Did the Oilers overpay for him? Sure. Uh, I don't. I, I would disagree with Doug. I don't. I don't think he's been a bad player. I think he's pretty much has has been what you would expect. He's been, you know, okay most of the time. He's on a better team. Does he play as much as he plays here? No, but but he still helped improve the Oilers. So there there could be a hundred free agents this summer, and ninety nine of them could say Edmonton sucks. I hate Edmonton. I think the Oilers are a joke. I will never sign there. Really, that doesn't matter. What matters is the quality of the one guy who is willing to come here, right? So, I mean, you can go, you you can go back and forth with it, and and I don't think the Edmonton hatred is as high as a lot of people would would like us would like us to believe, quite frankly. And I have, I have talked to people about it, talked to agents, and you know, you hear things out there too when you're at the rink and you're in the media and people are talking to you. So. Just some things to keep in mind. It is 719 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Some updates from uh, Oilers practice when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. They're about nine minutes into the game at Rexall. No score. Edmonton and Brandon. Game four of their first round series. The Oil Kings are up two games to one. The road team has won every contest so far in that series. It's 722. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Our next Oilers broadcast will be on Saturday, 630 for the face-off show. 8 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Don't forget Sunday at 4, the season premiere of the Eskimos show hosted by Morley Scott. Eskimos president and CEO Len Rhodes will be a guest on the show. I know Morley was talking to Len about the Red Blacks still wanting to get compensation for head coach Jason Moss. A ruling is expected soon, Morley. Um, Gotta tell you on this one, the facts speak for themselves. I speak with the utmost confidence that if uh, people stick to the facts, our case is as solid as ever. I have full confidence that if the right decision is made based on the facts, the Eskimos uh, will come out of this ahead. However, different things have occurred. I can tell you we've gone through the mediation process. 
uh, been able to articulate the facts uh, as we experienced them. We asked for permission, we were granted permission in writing, and then things changed and all of a sudden new conditions were sent our way, which we rejected, and we continue to reject. Uh, but now it's in the hands of the commissioner, and we hope that he makes a, a ruling that's in, not, you know, I'd, it's not about the Eskimos or Ottawa, it's about just doing the right thing. There's a new policy in place that deals with these things in the future. There was no such policy at the league level. If anyone knows the implications, we certainly do. We lost a head coach to Saskatchewan, but again, for the opportunity to move up, we're just asking Ottawa to treat us with respect, the same respect that we granted Chris Jones, and we move on, and it's about moving on. However, since we've been pulled into mediation and we had to agree to it, uh, I'm telling you, our facts are strong, and uh, I expect the decision to come that will be in favor of the Edmonton Eskimos. All right, so that is uh, Len Rhodes, so we'll see what happens there. Look... There, there needs to be a rule, and and now they they do have some rules in place, right? But I mean, you can't have the Eskimos not asking for compensation for Chris Jones, and then believing they won't have to compensate Ottawa, and then Ottawa wanting something. I mean, you got you got to have some policy, regardless of how you come down on this. I, I hope you would agree that you have to have some some policy. We got a goal, by the way, and it is not for the Oil Kings. It is a. Uh, Goal for the Brandon Wheat Kings. That's what Twitter is telling me. Shorthanded goal for John Quenville. Wheat Kings go up one nothing on the Edmonton Oil Kings. We will keep you updated on that one. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text us to six thirty six thirty. This texture says Detroit is one of the worst cities for crime and murder, and players want to go play there. The winning culture will bring players to Edmonton. The city has nothing to do with it. Well, I'm glad a texture said that because when I say that, everybody gets mad at me. <laughs> I, I look. I, I think the city does have something to do with it. Um, I mean, hey, would it be cool to go live in New York and be a pro hockey player, or uh, you know, live play for Tampa Bay and go golf in the afternoon after practice on January 11th? Yeah, sure, it would. But also, hockey players travel a lot. I mean, here's here's the thing, Matthew. I, I think it's one of those situations where people want to put an absolute on it, right? Like, it's easy to say nobody plays, nobody wants to go to uh, Edmonton or Winnipeg because it's too cold. Nobody wants to go to Montreal because there's too much media pressure, right? But the bottom line is it's not the same for everybody. And like I said... All you need to do is find the right guys to come to your team, either trade for them or sign them, and then it doesn't matter. I mean, the heck then with the guys who didn't want to come here or who chose somewhere else. Did Shirelli get the right guys this summer? I, I, I think he did okay, right? I mean, Cam Talbot didn't have a no-trade clause. If he did, would have he blocked Edmonton? I don't know, but he didn't, he didn't have one. So he came here, and I, I think most people would be fairly happy with uh, – with with Cam Talbot. These players travel a lot during the season, so they're not in the city they, they are playing for about 40% of the time. I won't say it's 50-50 because on off days, you know, in, in between trips, you're more likely to be here. Look, do families play a part? Sure. Craig Simpson was saying on Oilers Now yesterday to Bob that sometimes it's the wives that make the decisions. Well, okay, that's maybe that's true the, it, the, for the majority of married guys. I'm sure it's not true for all of them. 
uh, you know, I, like I said, in the last couple of days, I've talked to some people, and it was specifically told there was a guy who was no longer a free agent, but who was, whose wife specifically would have loved to come to Edmonton, but it didn't, it didn't work out. So it, there aren't any absolutes with it, but I do think this texture made a good point. You run your team well, and you win at at least a reasonable rate. You maybe don't have to be top of the league every year, but you, you have a respectable franchise that does things right, that treats people well, that is committed to winning. Players are more likely to look at that. Edmonton has not been that place. Edmonton has not been that place. Well, have some guys turned their back on it because of the weather, because it's a little more isolated? Yeah, well, they probably have, but not everybody. 728. You'll hear from Everly, McClellan, Nugent Hopkins when we get back. It's now 2 nothing, Brandon. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. Well, I'm going to bring you an Oilers injury update here in this half hour. And it will uh, not include anything about Oscar Clefbaum playing before the end of the season. John Quinville and Kale Clegg have the goals for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Five and a half minutes left in the second period. Two nothing for Brandon. Man, tough situation for the Oil Kings. It's like I was saying to Morley earlier. If if Brandon wins, okay, the series is tied two two. But you know they were the better team in the regular season. You know they got game six and seven at home if you need game seven. So, uh, yeah, Oil Kings looking to be in a tough spot right here. 7.34. Thanks for tuning in tonight in the National Hockey League this evening. Let's give you an update here. Islanders back in front of the Blue Jackets, 4-3. Late third period now, just a couple minutes left. Buffalo on the verge of closing out Toronto, three minutes left. It's 3-1 for the Sabres. Penguins taking it to the Predators. Oh, it just ended. 5-2 the win for Pittsburgh tonight. Carolina leading the Rangers 4-3 with four minutes left. Jeff Skinner with his 27th of the season. Canadians up 2-0 on the Lightning. Third period just started. Late in the second, it's Ottawa 2, Minnesota 1. Devils and Panthers 1-1 after 2. Coyotes and Stars 1-1 after 1. The late games this evening, San Jose will host Vancouver. LA will host Calgary. The Flames will be here on Saturday night to face the Oilers. 6.30 for the face-off show, 8 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Matthew Panashik working on the other side of the window this evening. Matthew, how's your night going? It is going good. We had some great interviews tonight. Kelly Rudy was awesome, eh? Always enjoy having Kelly on the show. Fantastic. Every week he's great. He's good. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good storyteller. And what I, what I like about talking to the ex-athletes is they're, they're obviously often a lot more candid than current athletes. And I really like that explanation. Here's what is going through a goalie's head when he gets knocked down. And here's why Laurent Brassois didn't just immediately stand up. He's trying to find the puck. He finds it. He sees Carter getting ready to shoot it. And he thinks, well, if I try to stand up, there's no way I'm stopping it. Because I'll be scrambling around. So I'm going to stack my pads and at least try to take away half the net. So the the, the referee's point in that game that Brassois should have stood up quicker, which is why they didn't wave off the goal, is, quite frankly, ludicrous. 
780-496-0063. You can also text us at uh, 630-630. So Jack Michaels, last night on the show, identified the uh, Jordan... Well, we're not talk, We're not doing the ostrich race. Just start laughing because I say the name Jack Michaels. By the way, if you want to hear the ostrich race story, it's on the 630 Ched Facebook page, okay? And I think... Did I tweet it out last night? I think I did. You can look back in my, my Twitter account, at Reed Wilkins. But he identified, you know, that first... His first uh, game that he called in the NHL where the Oilers beat the Flames to start the 2010 season, and, and Jordan Everly scored that great goal, and I was, I was talking to Everly today about that today. Vandermeer slides it off the wall, two on one. Here's Everly. Everly back at her. What a beautiful goal! The toe drag from forehand to backhand, and the Edmonton Oilers extend to a 2 nothing lead. Jordan Everly, wow! And not just because of the goal. It's, I think it's this is my first game. Um, I had all my family here, all my friends, um, and I mean, it's your first NHL game. So I think it's kind of an accomplishment in itself. So um, that's for sure my first, my, my, my favorite memory. There's been some. Yeah, I mean, look, I know you guys would love to be talking about playoff memories, but I find it kind of crazy that two of the best individual performances in the NHL, probably in the last five or six years, have taken place here with mm-hmm. Gagne's eight-point night and Scrivens's 59-save performance. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was a part of both of them. Um, Gagne's 8.9, we were on a line with them. It was, I think we scored four shifts in a row and it was it was just electric in this building. I think people started to realize the record around his sixth point and, and uh, you know, we started to try and get it for him. And then the Scrivens one was just something that um, you know, he just first off, we didn't play well, so I mean, that gave him the opportunity to get, you know, whatever it was, 50-some shots, but um, you know, he, he was exceptional, he, and, and some of the saves he was making were just back doors, and, and he was making unbelievable. You guys were doing some one-on-one battle drills uh, today, obviously getting back into the groove after a couple of days off the ice, but uh, who's, who's the best guy at uh, protecting the puck on the team when you have to go up against something like that? Um, well, I think Patty Maroon, he, he's, I mean, the biggest guy, he, you know, he, he blocks out the sun, and you to try and get around him to get the buckets can be pretty tough. I think Leon, has, at a young age, does a good job at it too. All right, and you guys got the Calgary Flames coming up. I mean, like last battle of Alberta in this building. Uh, uh, aside, these three games remaining. I mean, there are rivalries with with these teams, and I, I know you, it seems to me anyway. You guys have focused on let's have a good record over the mm-hmm. final 18 games. Let's not let's not mail it in. Yeah, no, that's for sure what we're thinking. Um, and I think when it comes to if you look at the standings too, I think these three games are going to you know affect where where we end up. So and obviously we don't want to end up last. We want to you know fight for for whatever points we can get. So um, you know it'll be uh, it'll be good games. I think the energy in the crowd will be great. That is Jordan Eberle, and this is your Action Furnace Oilers report, courtesy of Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Yes, the Oilers with just the three games left, the unusual spaced-out schedule here uh, here at the uh, at the end of the season. Got a text here from uh, Gavin to 630-630. says, Reed, when the Oilers start winning and put in a better effort than being in the bottom eight in the NHL, attitudes toward Edmonton will change. That is from uh, Gavin. Uh, Gavin, I agree with uh, your sentiment there as we move along at 739. So, uh, Eberly talking a little bit about the goal, about Patrick Maroon. Now, the battle drills they did today, it, it was a long practice today, Matthew, which I expected after being two days off the ice, right? They went for about an hour with the coaches on the ice, you know, supervising the drills. And then some of the guys stayed out there until 1230. So they were on the ice for about 90 minutes. Most of them uh, younger players, Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, 
Dreisaitl, Nurse, Brassois, Reinhardt were all guys I noticed coming off late. We were all waiting to talk to Nugent Hopkins to get an injury update, and we'll get to a clip from him. And then they did do a pretty intense battle drill where they, they lined the ice all the way along the outer boards. Well, the boards are outside. All the way along the boards. There's no inner boards in hockey, by the way. Uh, all the way along the boards. And each guy, you know, a guy would have a puck, and he would battle with another guy for a few seconds, and then McClellan would blow the whistle, and one guy would move on to the next player to battle with. Nugent Hopkins didn't do that. Nugent Hopkins didn't do that because he's still getting back from the minor concussion. So Nugent Hopkins is confident he's going to play before the end of the season. We we don't know about Saturday. We, we don't know about Saturday. But, uh, you know, a tough year for Nugent Hopkins. He missed 23 games with a hand injury. He's back for a few, and now he's missed the last three with the concussion. Don't forget. When he was back and playing there, he was reunited with, with Leon Dreisaitl and Hall, and Nugent Hopkins was talking about being on a line with Leon again. I thought it was going pretty well for the first period and period and a half. I thought we were uh, playing pretty well. We had a lot of chances and stuff, but um, unfortunately that uh, got cut short. No, definitely we were uh, kind of interchanging. I think it uh, actually kind of makes things easier. Um, you don't always, you're not always playing low. I mean, there's another guy out there that you can definitely trust to, to be down low for you. And um, so we, we were definitely interchanging a lot. Just kind of whoever was uh, first back into the zone was uh, playing low. And same thing on breakups and stuff. All right, so Nugent Hopkins there talking about being on a line with Dreisaitl, who is a center, but it wasn't necessarily the guy taking the face off who wound up playing d- defense in, in or, you know, playing center defensively in the Oilers' end of the rink. And, that, and that's what it, one of the things I find interesting about the lineup for next season. If McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Nugent Hopkins are all on the team, does that mean they are always at center, or is Dreisaitl going to play the wing? I think in terms of at least how you would write it on a lineup card, McClellan would more likely put Dreisaitl as the winger as opposed to Nugent Hopkins. But again, once the play starts, they're moving all over the place. Now, if that happens, if that's their plan, then they're going to need another center because I, I think Latestu is a, is a fine as a fourth-line center, um, but then they would need a third-line center or somebody who can do a little bit of both, wing and center, and can score enough to be a third-line center. That's I mean, look, the Oilers still need some significant pieces here to be a better team, and I do think they are a better team than last year. I think they're better coached. I think they have a better goaltender. I think they have a star player to build around. That's all very important. And I I think they have done things better than last year. I think they're better at breaking out the puck. I think they're, they're, uh, you know, better at staying in games. But they're still going to be a long way away, especially, you know, they, they might finish last. So you can't, you can't argue with, uh, with last place, but they're going to need a couple defensemen. I still think they need another top nine winger and they're probably going to need a third line center. I mean, even if, even if they have those guys as their centers, I still think they need to add another centerman, and, and maybe you put him on the wing, or him and Dreisaitl can go back and forth. Like, there's still some major strides for this team to become good. Uh, one of them is solving the neutral zone. Pat Maroon talked about it after the game with the Ducks. Todd McClellan expanded on it today, and it's something I want to get to because I think it's another thing that this team has to figure out. We often talk about what happens inside the blue lines, what about between the blue lines? It remains a weakness for the Oilers. I'll tell you how when we get back. 
You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chen. All right, the Oil Kings trail Brandon 2-0 after the first period. A couple of text messages to 630-630. BM says, my crew and I have been looking at Troy Brower for a while now to fill that top nine forward role on the Oilers. Your thoughts? Well, BM, I've always thought Troy Brower is a pretty effective player. He is uh, 30. I believe he's going to be 31 by the time the season starts. He is going to be an unrestricted free agent. He makes 3.67 this season with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he's not a huge scorer. He can probably get you 30 to 40 points. And uh, he can certainly play with some tenacity that the Oilers have been lacking, though they have a little more of it now than they did at the start of the year. I, I would look at a guy like Brower, and I mean, I think when you ask yourself, would this guy uh, fit in on the Oilers, I, I guess, yeah, first you have to say, well, who try to guess what line he'd be on and... Uh, you know, would he be a repetitive player or would he add something? I don't think Brower would be a repetitive player. Um, and I think he would add something. And, and let's face it, th- does he push other guys lower down on the depth chart? And that's a, that's a good thing. And, I mean, I know a lot of people, especially the advanced stats guys, have complained about Laurie Korpakoski. He's got bad possession numbers. He doesn't score enough. Why is McCullum playing so much? All that kind of stuff. And I'm like, look, Laurie Korpakoski wasn't brought in here to score 40 goals. He was brought in here to push guys like Klinkhammer and Gazdick down. He's better than those guys. If Brower comes, is he a better right winger than Eero Packerinen or Zach Cassian? Well, yes, I think he would be. Now, maybe Cassian has potential to be better than Brower. He's certainly younger. Um, and I know I've brought up Eero Packerinen a few times, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, to dump all over the guy because I, I think he works hard, but he is okay. He's an okay player. And if you have a bunch of okay players on your team, you probably have a below-average team because it just, it just won't be good enough. What would you have to pay Brower? Well, what if, what if, I don't know, what if he came here for two or three years at $4 million per season? I mean, that, so you take the money you're paying, you've been paying to Keaton for the last two years and give it to Troy Brower. I, I mean, I know it's different positions, but in terms of how the money is being spent, I, I feel a lot better about it going to Brower for two or three years. We got Bill on the line, 780-496-0063. Hey, hey, Reed. Hey, Bill. How's it going, buddy? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks. Good, good. Um, I was just saying about the like the the last few games that we've won, we've really won the puck battles, right? Whether it's in the offensive zone, defensive zone, neutral zone, doesn't matter. We won the puck battles. You come away with the puck as yep. a team. You have support, right? And we have speed, which is great, but you also need <laughs> bodies, right? Yep. Bodies that can mash into the boards and come away with the puck. So I think that's the nice thing and the glimmering hope that I have <laughs> as a longtime Oiler fan. I'm still on the wagon. Now, who do you see leading? Who are some players you see leading the way or doing especially well in the puck battles, Bill? Well, uh, Maroon. Maroon, I've liked what he's done. Um, Cassian, I think he takes, well, the rest are probably watching him too, right? He takes some bad penalties at bad times. It's like, yeah, when the play is over, don't do something else. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that the it's thing just, after yeah. the icing in San Jose was just yeah. bad. Yeah. You know what? Okay. Be very emotional and be a big body. Get in front of the net, and then you clear up. You clear up the the room for the really skilled players, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like Abs and um, yeah, Nugent like Hopkins, whoever you want to mention, yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, for sure. Like you clear up that ice. Right. So they're like they the, do what they do. They're like the they're like the offensive lineman in football, right? You can have a fast yeah. running back, but he's not going anywhere if there's no exactly. holes for him. Yeah. Exactly. Bill, thanks for calling, man. Appreciate it. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. It's seven fifty two. I think Bill is going to be interested in some stuff here. We're going to play. Oh, by the way, Adam texting in. He says David Backus seems like the Shirelli type. Well, Backus, another guy who's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, where I just had his page open here to check his salary. There we go. Four and a half million this year. He's currently thirty one. Uh, I mean, he's probably going to try to get three, four, five years to take himself into his mid-30s. Here's the thing with Backus. Is he worth, if he wants a raise, is he worth $5 million a year to the Oilers to be possibly a third-line center? Probably not, eh, Matthew? Like, Brower, you might be able to get for a better price point, and he might be the type of guy who could play consistent third-line and maybe move up if you really needed to. Like, he's not a great scorer, but... You know, he'd bring a little bit of meat and, and meanness on that other side. Is that fair? Oh, I agree 100% with you, Reed. 100%, buddy. Yeah. And, and again, are these guys going to want to come here? I mean, we don't know what their attitudes are towards the Oilers and McDavid and uh, shoveling snow and poutine. I don't know why I threw poutine in there. It's just green onion cakes. That's what I should have said. They're the ones that were invented. Donair? In have a Donair? Right? Uh, is Edmonton known for its Donairs? I don't know. That's Hamilton, isn't it? I don't know. I think green onion cakes were invented here. Anyway, man, we get off topic quickly on this show. Thanks for bearing with us. Okay, but uh, anyway, I wanted to I wanted to get to this a little comment from Patrick Maroon after the game on Monday night about what the Ducks uh, do well to keep you off the scoreboard. They do a really good job of the neutral zone, and um, they break out so clean. You know, there's a couple one and dones. You know, we, we chip it in, they break out clean. Okay, so. I asked McClellan about that today after practice, about uh, about the neutral zone. What are, what are some of the problems the Oilers have? What can they do? Here's his answer. We have to get better in that area, and that's, uh, you know, we go back to the, the question I think I asked earlier in the year, who's more important, the quarterback or the receivers? I don't know what the answer is. You can have 10 great receivers. If the quarterback never gets them the ball, they're useless. Um, you can have a great quarterback. Receivers don't run the routes or, or hit their spots at a given time. The quarterback's useless. It has to be a good mesh, and we're still working on that. So is that transporting the puck up from your, your defense? Or is that guys not getting the right spots to receive the pass? It's working into position. It's passing skills. It's um, receiving skills. It's understanding where pressure's coming from. It's the ability to move it up before a very disciplined neutral zone forecheck sets up, which is in an ideal world, teams that transition real quick get that done before they're even in, in their checking positions. Um, some of it's foot speed, uh, anticipation skills. There's a lot of factors that go into, uh, into beating a, a real disciplined group. You know, I, re- I really like that answer. The Ducks are a disciplined group. They will play... And Rob and I talked about this. They they play 
that that style where they're they're not going to beat themselves and, and you can beat the ducks but you got to make consistently good plays and maybe you have to make seven or eight good passes to get the puck up ice and into the other zone maybe you got to be willing to cycle it for 20 30 seconds and not turn it over and be as patient or more patient than they're being and the Oilers don't have that they they don't i think they've improved but they they don't have that patience and composure that other teams have i think part of it's the youth i think part of it is the lack of success they've had all that kind of stuff but you know he he's used that football comparison quite a bit mcclellan has over the season who do you blame for not being able to advance the puck or score touchdowns, the quarterback or the receiver. But he, he mentioned those little details, and, and he, it, a lot of it goes back to the defense. And then the Oilers do need, I've been talking a lot about the forwards this half hour, they do need better defense, and they do need better passing defense. And he he put, he put he did, he didn't just say it's all physical, he said at the end, it's about reading the play, analyzing the play. What's the other team doing? What's the best decision I can make and then I got to make it quickly. Now, the Oilers' defense, as it is now, especially because of the injuries, is made up of players that generally don't have that physical ability and also don't have the experience to recognize what's going on. Right? And that's why I think if they add a defenseman, you got to add someone 26, 27, 28. Right? That's why the whole Seth Jones thing didn't work for me because I'm like, aren't we done giving all the responsibility to guys 22 and under. Anyway, you can text 630-630. Uh, Rob Suggett is going to drop by. 30 games in 30 nights, the one-year anniversary.